Have you ever watched the news and seen a shooting, a police chase, a medical emergency, or a five alarm fire, and then thought to yourself, what were the first responders thinking? What were they going through? Maybe you've driven by a devastating car accident and you could see on the faces of everyone involved the fear, the worry, and even the horror of the situation. How do first responders keep their composure and how does it affect them? Do they take the grief and drama home? Is their family involved? I'm Dr. Troy Rogers, and I'm a psychologist who works exclusively with public safety personnel and their families. And for the last 20 years, I've been fortunate enough to work with these first responders and hear their stories, unedited, uncensored, and raw. In this exciting new podcast, you'll get a glimpse into their worlds, their experiences, their lives. They will tell firsthand the stories of survival, sadness, adversity, strength, and despair. Listen in as every episode dives deep into the mind, the soul, and the experience of our heroes. The amazing stories of these men and women will give us a glimpse of the true toll of the weight of the badge. Welcome, everybody, to another intense podcast where we break down the walls in order to hear the real stories from real heroes. This is our chance to dive in and experience firsthand um, stories from those who protect our communities. I'm Dr. Troy Rogers. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. On our show today, we have the great opportunity to welcome Sam Rodriguez who is currently a Bernalillo County Sheriff's Deputy um, and has been for the last 10 years. He is working in the Academy Division at this point in time. Welcome, Sam. Thanks we for appreciate having, having you. Thanks so, for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm married. I got two small kids. I got a little boy and a little girl. My son's a toddler, so that's crazy right now. Um, prior to being at the Academy, I was in our homicide unit. Prior to that, I was in our violent crime unit. Prior to that, I was in the field, training officer, the usual stuff. Um, prior to being in law enforcement, um, I worked in campus ministry. I was a full-time evangelist, and I did that ever since I was done with college. Uh, moved to Albuquerque, and then got started here with the Sheriff's Department just a couple years after that. Okay. So, so you, got, you got a whole diverse background in terms yeah, of your experiences. My, my background isn't like the typical cop background. Um, so I come from, um, uh, I became Christian in college, didn't grow, really grow up that way. And that really started changing my path as an adult. Um, and then I just took a 90 degree turn. I was like, I, I, I don't think I could do ministry the rest of my life. I don't think I have the character for it at the time. Um, so I went into law enforcement and man, I love it. I, I really do consider it like my calling. I, I, I love it, I'm passionate about it. I love the people I work with. It's challenging. It's severely impacted uh, myself and my family, which we'll talk about. Uh, but man, I, I love this gig, it's awesome. That's great. I love hearing that. So, so tell us, let, let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit about why you're here. What, what's your story? Um, so our, our audience can get yeah. a sense for what you've gone through. Um, spoiler alert, mine's about an officer involved shooting. Um, and it was started uh, October, excuse me. Sometimes I get nervous. Sometimes I get emotional. <laughs> sometimes I'm super cool. I've told this uh, to people tons of times to different venues. 
And every time it's like a little bit different on how I respond to it. Uh, I think it was August of 2014 and I was uh, patrolling the South Valley of Albuquerque. Um, South Valley is a little bit higher crime um, than some of the rest of the, the city. Um, and it was just like the perfect storm of um, the way the South Valley is laid out. There was construction in significant places in key kind of um, areas where traffic flows in the South Valley, which would impact um, me getting to the scene before the rest of my unit, restricting my backup and having to basically doing this by myself. Um, and then the calls for service came in and kind of split our unit, our squad, excuse me, on different sides of the uh, valley. Um, and then while I was uh, down at a burglary in progress, I was like a, a backup unit to the backup unit. And by the time I got there, they figured stuff out. And I'm walking over just to see like, hey, I do like, a, uh, um, see if I could see if these guys are part of a gang, if they need photos taken, whatever. Um, and then while I'm walking in the scene, like the emergency tone comes on our radios and it's like a, like a alarm kind of signals to everybody, hey, there's a serious, um, serious thing going on. And then myself and another unit got dispatched to a uh, kidnapping in progress. And it was at a gas station at Coors and Gun Club. Um, Coors and Gun Club is one of the major intersections of the South Valley. Like, I, I don't know how many homicides we've investigated in or at that intersection. Um, but a male was uh, physically abducting a female from the gas station. Um, so he was dragging her out. Video footage would later show like, yeah, he, they got into a domestic. He shows up shirtless and then he's literally grabbing her and she's flailing and he's pulling her out of the, the gas station. Um, I get going. I'm driving my sweet old black and white Crown Vic. Uh, it's like, <laughs> kind of dates you on where we are with this story. And um, as I'm going there, we're getting updates. And then the update is um, she was able to get away from him and she got into a like a white sedan and he was in a red truck. To this day, I have like a, like a bias against red trucks because of this. Like I don't enjoy them. I don't like to see them. Um, so you saw my red truck? Yeah, I saw your red truck. Came in. Like, All oh, right, come on, dog. <laughs> uh, so uh, as she gets in the car, um, he chases her in the vehicle. So then he's chasing her and then he starts ramming her. It's basically bumper cars on course. And he's got a little four-door sedan against a, a red truck and he's just ramming her. Um, as I turn from Coors to Gun Club, I'm headed north now, um, there's a trailer park a couple hundred yards to the left on the west side of the road. And I see, um, and I'm several, several hundred yards away. And as I'm turning the corner, what, what I'm almost positive I see is a lady running and a red truck trying to run her over. And it turns out, video surveillance we show, like, no, you, that, that's exactly what would happen. Um, basically, in the video, he hits her, she's turning around, and she's actually the passenger. Uh, she gets out, and then he tries to run her over and misses her by like 18 inches, maybe. Um, and then he pulls into this kind of ramp. Um, the, the entry to this trailer park, um, it goes, there's like a downward slope um, to this business, and then the trailer park entrance is right there. Um, so he goes down there, and I'm assuming he probably is in the trailer park. Um, it turns out he was not in the trailer. He, he was doing a, like a three or five point turn. Um, so as I'm approaching, I'm giving updates. I'm asking, hey, can you clear the air for me? I need the air. Um, and I'm giving updates like, yeah, he's, he were by the trailer park. And then as I'm turning into the trailer park, 
and I had my lights and sirens going. And you're by yourself this whole yeah, time. Yeah, I'm too. by myself at this point. My backup, um, my backup stated they were on the way. They would later say, "No, I actually got mixed up. I was going the wrong direction." There was some stuff about that because we were like, "You were on the edge of district." Like the only other direction was in the city. Like where where were you <laughs> where thinking? Were you yeah, where were you going? Um, and then so at this point I'm by myself. Um, as I'm turning into the trailer park, um, it turns out he was doing that three or five point turn and he started coming out. And then he sideswipes me, and he hits my driver's side door. And I'm going so fast and I'm turning that I really don't have the the ability to really evade, and it happens so quickly. Um, from my vantage point there, I, th I thought that he was intentionally trying to sideswipe me, trying to hit me. Um, and then he continues southbound towards Coors. And if you're familiar with this area, there's pretty much open roadway all the way down to uh, the reservation. And that's several miles away, but in my mind, like, he's got a clean getaway. Unless the units are able to get towards him, and I just advise, um, hey, he's going southbound. Um, what, what's interesting in this part of the story is in my recording, um, uh, back then we were using belt tape recorders, okay. a little old school again. Old school. Uh, so I started my belt tape recording, like as I'm, as I'm halfway there, I started it down the road. It's one less thing I got to worry about. Uh, so I started while I'm driving and you hear the, the engine and the, the crown bit going and everything, you hear the updates. After he hit me the first time, uh, I tell them, I, I advise dispatch, like, hey, he just rammed me. And then I advise, um, he's turning around. As I sit here in front of you, I have zero memory of ever saying or observing him turning around. Like, I could po I'm convinced I could pass a polygraph test saying that I never saw him turn around. But in my recording, like, that, that's my voice. I she actually that. verbalized I said it. that. Like, yeah. I can't deny that. But as I sit here now, like I have absolutely zero memory of that. Um, just, just one of the crazy things about the brain and stress and, and critical incidents. Um, so I'm assuming he's he's driving, and then according to the recording, I, I say he's turning around, but I don't I don't remember that. I honestly don't remember that. Um, and then there's one point where I'm sitting in my Crown Vic, and w what I forgot to mention is when he side me, my my legs were like crossed over. And the door uh, was kind of buckled in and I couldn't reach my pedals. Like my, my legs were crossed and I'm like trying to do this number and I can't reach the pedals because the door has my legs pinched. And then in the like patrol vehicles, we have the middle console, which is like a pretty, it's like a cockpit. So we have the radio, the lights, um, anything else. And then the computer. So it's kind of a tight, tight squeeze. And, um, so and I, you're wearing your duty belt and everything. I'm wearing my duty belt, my yeah. vest. Um, I, I'm stuck. I can't. I can't uh, articulate the pedals, and the door is kind of pinching me in, and I'm I'm just kind of there. Um, and I hear what sounds like a truck, a big engine, like not revving, but like going for it. Um, and my first thought is like, that's not good. And then I look over my shoulder. And then I see uh, the red truck, and, and it's just beelining it straight for me. And um, your car's not moving. I, you're I can't, I can't yeah, move you the, can't move the yeah, pedals. So you're stuck. I'm stuck. I'm, um, I, I am completely helpless. I can't get out of the car. 
when I see that, I reach for my, my uh, I had a 1911 at the time, I reached for my gun and I was in a pool car. And whoever had the pool car before me um, installed, there's like these little metal armrests with foam on top. Well, somebody, and I should have caught it and I should have changed it when I saw this, when I, when I got the pool car, but somebody installed it to where they're basically like, like this. So they installed the, the base and then there's a 90 degree and there's foam on top so you can put your arm on there. Somebody installed it like this instead of like this. So I reach down where my, where my holster is and I'm feeling the foam from the armrest because my gun is underneath it. And I'm like, that's not good either. And I'm looking over and the best way I could describe it, the feeling um, is I, like if, if I'm treading water in the middle of the ocean and there's like an island nearby, but I'm out here in the middle of the ocean, I'm shipwrecked, whatever. And then I, I'm like, there's some hope, there's the island. And then you look over my shoulder and you just see like a, a shark fin coming straight for you. And it's like, I got nothing. Like this is about to happen and there's really nothing I could do. At that point for me, like time just slows down completely. Like to where if it was raining, like in the movies, like the <laughs> rainfall would come down, like in slow motion. Music and, starts. Yeah, it, right it was crazy. And then uh, in this moment, my brain just kicks into overdrive. And I re started to remember everything I learned from college, um, from the academy, about the brain and what it's capable of. And it's, the brain is incredible. It's a supercomputer, it could do amazing things. And my brain just kicks in. And all of a sudden, like time is slowing down. And the best way I can describe it is, there's like two of me in the car. There's me experiencing this, and then in the passenger seat, there is like the alpha Samrod. Like the best FTO version of me, the best instructor version of me, uh, the accumulation of all of my training and experience personified here in the passenger seat. And I'm, I'm like having this conversation with myself. And I'm saying, hey man, cool. Uh, we're experiencing this. I need you to pay attention to me. And then the first thing I do is like, I start thinking about my wife, Ivy. Mm. And we've been married for um, eight, barely, not even eight months at that point, newlyweds. And uh, like, we just bought our house um, and my mind starts going there. And I tell myself like, hey, I need you to focus on this moment and this moment only. And that's it. What happens now is the most important thing in your life. Everything else can wait. Um, and then I'm like, okay, I could do that. And I'm like, I'm present. And I'm basically telling myself, I'm present. Let's do this. And then I'm telling myself, like, this dude is trying to murder you. Um, and this is all in a split this second. Is You've got fraction of a seconds. Second. I'm having this entire slow motion conversation with myself. And I'm saying, this dude just tried to murder that later lady. Excuse me. He kidnapped her. Uh, he just tried to murder her. He just hit you. He had a free getaway and he's turning around and now he's trying to murder he's trying to kill a cop right now and i'm like okay um i'm like remember that okay i can remember that um and then i and then i tell myself remember crash investigations in the academy the best thing we got going for ourselves is the b pillar of the vehicle so we have the a mm -hmm. pillar of the window the b right. pillar c pillar like that b pillar is the best thing you got going for you He's coming at you right away. He's at an angle. What I need you to do is just try and push away from the door just as much as you can. It's going to be inches. 
but I need you to try and just push off as get as far away from that door as possible. I'm like, okay, I could do that. And then I tell myself, um, all right, this is, this is going to hurt. We're going to be in a lot of pain and this is going to be scary. So I need you to go in the brain and I need you to find your pain and your fear receptors. And the way I, I describe it is like opening a door to like a, a movie of like a nuclear reactor and there's buttons and lights everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, they're over there, go find them and just turn them off. Your brain, your brain can do this. We can do this. It is possible. And again, I'm thinking of like how powerful the brain is. Right, how you can control, yeah. how you can influence yeah. what's uncontrollable at yeah. that point in time, right? right? Think of the old lady, like the mom pulling the car off the kid type thing. Like it, you can do this. And I'm like, okay. So I go and I turn it off. And after that, man, I'm like in the zone. Like I'm, I'm not afraid. Um, I really don't have any pain at this point because I'm just kind of pinched. And then... Um, and then the last thing I'd say is like, hey, he's getting closer. This is probably the most important thing. I need you not to lose consciousness. Mm. Whatever happens, keep your eyes open and don't lose consciousness. If you lose your consciousness, you're done. Like you're, you're dead. Either the crash is gonna kill you or he's gonna come up here, he's gonna get out, he's gonna finish you off. I'm like, okay. This is one thing we learned in the academy is like anytime you go to a situation, there's always at least one gun. Like you've got one on your hip. Um, if you lose your consciousness, like you're done. So I'm like, okay. And I'm telling myself, whatever happens, just keep your eyes open, get away from that door. Like we're good to go. You got this. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I'm like, poof, I'm back to just in the door and I'm looking over and I'm like, like, holy crap, this is about to happen. And I just push off as much as I can from the door. In, in, in my memory, it was like, you know, Michael Jordan, but in reality, it was probably like an inch, you know? Uh, <laughs> it felt dramatic, right? It felt right? so dramatic. <laughs> and, and I push off, and then he hits me. And then I'm keeping, I'm forcing myself to keep my eyes open. And the way I would describe it is like, my, my daughter, Victoria, she's one, and she has like her little dolls, her babies. And sometimes she's like, baby, and other times she's like, ah, baby. Is the second part is what it felt like. So imagine like holding um, holding a doll by like the knees and then just going like this with it. That's what it felt like. And I'm seeing like the roof and I'm seeing my lunch. My, my I was reading a, a marriage book, um, like cups, papers, pens are just flying everywhere. And I'm forcing myself to keep my eyes open. Um, and then it comes, it comes to a stop. And I'm like, and I, and I kind of like blink and I'm like, I, I'm, good. I'm still alive. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I'm still alive. Um, and then... I, did you I, even hear the impact or did you just yeah, felt it? Yeah, I, 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 um, I felt it. I heard it. To this day, I, I can't stand the sound of a crash. Mm. I've been driving um, and like with my window down, this happened a couple years ago. I'm driving home from the academy and I just hear a minor crash. Like somebody just hit a hit another car parked on the side of the road, but the sound of like the the metal and the plastic crumbling, I just freaked out in my car. Like I'm in my car by myself, and I, I am I start like breathing heavy. I'm starting to cry. I'm freaking out, um, and that's happened one time before uh, when Ivy and I were watching uh, this show Lost. 
<laughs> looking back, that, yeah. And there's this one scene where there's these two cops in a car and they're like getting in the car and they're like, all right, partner, and like cliche Hollywood stuff, like foam coffee cup on the dashboard. <laughs> and, uh, and then they're sitting there and then a car just rear ends them. And I remember when that, after that happened, um, I, I, I think I was like, I had my hand on Ivy's knee or something just casually. And then I like, I kind of lock up and she didn't notice at the time that she looks at me and I, I'm like literally petrified. Like I, I can't move and I'm kind of like locked back. My eyes are open and, and I'm just kind of like, like I'm, I'm just forcing myself to breathe. And then she's like, realizes like something is significantly wrong here. Takes me a couple seconds and I like catch my breath. And again, I'm like, I start tearing up and I start kind of like composing myself. So the sound of a crash, man, it, it mm. still gets to me. Like it is like nails on the chalkboard. Like That's I, years later. I can't stand. This was, you know, years and years ago and I still, it still messes with me. Um, so, so he hits me and then I come to a stop and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm okay. Uh, I was really sure. Um, one thing I forgot to mention is well, I told myself um, when he hits you, he's going pretty fast. Um, and if that B pillar doesn't kick in, the radio console next to me, my um, from my knees down, were basically pinched between the radio console and the buckle and kind of crossed over. And I, I realized like, hey, if this guy hits you fast enough, um, your knees are stuck. I don't think they're going to move. And there's a really good chance that you're going to keep going and those knees are going to stay there. And then, uh, and I remember thinking like, there's a good chance, like you may have an amputation here. And then I'm like, okay. And he's like, there's a tourniquet in your pocket. And then there's another one in your door jam. Okay. We got to take care of business first. And then I, I joke with myself. I'm like telling myself like somebody's going to have cell phone video of Lieutenant Dan like wrestling this dude into handcuffs on the side of the road. Like, cause he's going to jail. Like that's all there is to it. And if you're all stumpy and you're still putting handcuffs on him, that's what we're committed to. Like, okay. So the crash happens and I'm like, I still got my legs I'm, and I'm still alive. And I'm like, I'm still stuck. Um, and then I hear the door open of his truck. And I'm like, well, like he's still alive too. Um, and then I, I look over and the way I'm set up now is that beep, that little uh, buckle in the door is now a giant, just there's inches of my seat left. And because I was able to get up, my, my hip is basically on the radio console. The top of my head is pinched between, like I could feel my rifle and shotgun, like the, the muzzle of it, where um, the top of the Crown Vic meet. Mm -hmm. And my head like right there and I could feel the top of the crown big, and I'm at this super awkward angle, uh, and my feet are still pinched down, and I'm kind of stretched out, and I'm, I'm basically like this in the driver's seat. And then his hood is touching the car, the crown big, and then there's, um, there's, a little, there's a little bit of space um, that I could see out of towards the driver's side door, and then the driver's side door opens, and it blocks half my view. <laughs> And then I see like, uh, he's still, he's still coming out. And then I see him go over and, the, and like another thing in the video, he's basically sidestepping away from the car. In my mind right now, the memory is he's coming towards me. 
and like again hook me up to a polygraph and I'm positive I'll pass it because that's what I remember that's that was real um, and then I tell myself like he's try he's still trying like he he's like just tried to kill the lady he just tried to kill you and now he's getting out and he's coming towards you and like he's about to kill you um, and the way that it's that, that it's set up like I can't see anything be above his shoulders like I can't see it and I could see like above his waist so I could see his torso and that's basically that's it. it um and then like in, in my mind I'm like I I like quickly go through uh, gram factors like lethal force considerations use of force considerations and I remember saying, like I, I I remember saying like in my mind I'm saying I'm green light for lethal force um, and then I'm like well I had a problem when I reached down and because I was jostled around like I'm sitting on my radio console there's no arm arm phone blocking my gun oh, and I reach down and I feel my 1911 and I, it was like such a feeling of relief where I'm like Oh, thank you, Jesus. Like, I've got my gun back. Um, and then as, he's, as, he, as I see him closing distance, um, which again, the video is, he's just sidestepping, but that's what I remembered. Um, I come out and I draw and I, I fire two rounds. And what, what's, it, it was again like, nothing is more important than this moment right here in front of you nothing is more important in your life than this moment right here in front of you and i remember like training like all those hours on the range like front sight trigger front sight trigger and that's what i'm thinking like and i had uh, these uh, sights they were trijicon hd night sights and, and they're fancy fancy they're bougie sights <laughs> right <and> I, <laughs> that's the good stuff that's the right? good stuff right there i was single i could afford the bougie stuff back then <laughs> and um and it, it was like I had a magnifier on those sites. Like, it wasn't hard to line them up because I was so focused. It was like I was looking through a scope in my front sights and they were perfectly lined up. And it, like, it, if I, I don't do, I'm not gonna close my eyes, but if I close my eyes to think about that moment, like I could feel the, the grip. I could feel I had the, these, again, bougie grips. They're VZ Operator 2 grips, like very, tacky very pokey so you get good grip on them and i had skateboard tape on the front strap of the, the 1911 like if i close my eyes and think about it I, I could i could feel it in my hand right now it was so it's still so real and i could feel the the front um vertical serrations of the of the 1911 trigger and i, I remember feeling the recoil um and i hit him i hit him center mass it was like the definition of center mass the first one goes the second one, um, I fire again, and he's dropping, and it just flies right over him. Uh, and it's funny, it, that bullet went into, um, it's not funny, but in retrospect. In retrospect. Went, in yeah. retrospect Looking it, back. It went into a trailer, didn't hurt anybody, uh, but that trailer belonged to a family member of a, a friend now who's a lieutenant in our department. <laughs> so we're good there. Um, he drops down, and then I'm like, back to like academy mode, I'm like, I'm like searching and I'm searching like where is he I think I'm pretty sure he's right there and I look up yeah he's right there he's he's dropped I'm like, is there anybody else I'm like switching on my like, like is there anybody else and um, and I'm still stuck like I can't get out of my car um, and I'm by myself backup isn't isn't there yet um, and then it takes civilians driving by 
to eventually get out of their car, stop, get out of their cars, and then come to my passenger side door. And they're like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, no, man, like I need help out of here. And, and then I holster, which I like was really insecure about because I'm like, I need these guys help to get me out of the car. I don't want to holster my gun because he's right there. He's just laying there. Um, and eventually the, the, I give I holster, I give the, the civilians my hands and they, they pull me out of the car. Um, what's really important that would impact me for years and years after that is there was a time delay of when I shot to when the civilians came in, maybe like 45 seconds. And during that 45 seconds, we train like, hey, keep keep track of your target. Keep track of what's in, the, the threat. Keep track of it. So I'm keeping track of it. And I'm watching this guy. And as I mentioned before, there was like a, a downhill slope down to that trailer park. And he's right on the, the slope. And as I'm, um, as I'm watching him, like I hit him center mass. It went through the sternum, the heart, and the lung. And I think it got impacted in the spine. So he's just pumping blood, pumping blood. Um, and so much so that it, it's like a significant amount of blood. And as, I, as I'm sitting there, um, I'm, just, I'm just watching this dude bleed out. And I'm watching, I'm watching this dude die. And it, it's different. Like I've been, you know, cops see so much death and so much tragedy. And it, it was different knowing um, that I just did that. Mm. Um, and knowing that like I meant to do that uh, I was trained to do that I don't have an issue doing it but still I'm watching this dude slowly uh, die and that, that would impact me for a long time afterwards um, and you're stuck in the car I'm stuck in the car Can't I'm just see anything else do anything else there's nothing for me to do but watch this dude die um and then the civilians get me out. And after that, uh, my sergeant shows up. And the way in my mind, I see my sergeant showing up. Uh, he's a friend, uh, his name's Randy. And in my mind, it was like, he shows up and it's one of those like, um, like trashy romance novels with like the Fabio <laughs> on, on the cover. That's what he looked like in my mind. Like, you're my hero right now. Like, you're just, like, shirt unbuttoned, hair flowing, and you're just coming in, riding your stallion. Like, you're my hero right now. And he shows up. He closes distance on him. I close distance as well. And then um, and I cuff him. Tell him gloves. I cuff him. He didn't have a shirt, so patting him down, make, checking the waistline was easy. Um, and then I go back to my car. And I'm like, well, I have, I have a trauma kit in the car. Like, I, I have an obligation now to try and liberate it. Um, so I remember running back to my car, which wasn't that far away. I mean, the shot was only like seven or eight yards away. Um, I, I go back to my car and I remember thinking, I need to run to my car. And then on the way back, I need to walk back. And the reason I need to walk back is I need to focus on opening my bag and finding what I need to find. I need to find the chest seal is what I need. Um, so then I go, I run to my car. I get my chet, my my trauma pack, and it's like this, you know, military military grade cordura nylon stitch with giant oversized zippers, and um, I I, I uh, open the velcro, and then I start dumping stuff that I know I'm not going to need. Like I don't need a tourniquet, I don't need this, I don't need that. I need this chest seal, and I'm walking back, so I have the dexterity to focus on this instead of running back. So by the time I get him, I'm like ready to put the chest seal on. 
I put it on and then my, and then afterwards I'm like, I don't know what else to do. Um, I think there's as much as I can do I've done. And my sergeant realized that he's like, all right, come with me. And then he uh, puts me in his car. What's crazy is, um, the speaking about the brain and what it's capable of that that pack was a zipper it wasn't velcro and then yeah, there's video of it and i just like i just ripped open the stitching of that bag and ripped that bag in two and it felt like velcro but it was like <laughs> it was stitched together and i ripped the stitching off of it like nothing um and then i get i get um removed from the scene backup finally shows up and then we're in uh, investigation mode and I'm in administrative mode. And then I was fine for about like 24 hours. And then that's when like part two of the story kicks in of the after effect. Um, my wife comes down, picks me up, brings me clothes and, and I'm good. Like I'm actually like pretty good. There's blood on my leg. Um, I got some scratches that they document and some lacerations in the back of my head from getting jostled around and hitting the gun. No injuries, legs, that kind uh, of stuff? No, there was like minor scratches, some bruising okay. scratches, a couple lacerations in the back of the head, but that's pretty much it. And I'm good for like 24 hours. I'm solid. Like, I slept like a baby that night. I'm fine. I don't know. I remember Doc Rogers saying something in the academy about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I was fine. Um, and it wasn't until about 24 hours later uh, when I'm in my house and then I real, and then, um, Ivy's upstairs and she's talking with her mom on the phone. Um, and I'm downstairs and I'm cleaning our kitchen. I'm just wiping down our countertops. And um, and I realize now, I'm like, I was just thinking like, oh, this is our house. We just bought our house. And I'm cleaning the countertop now. I'm like, this is my countertop. This is our countertop. This is our home. And I realize now, like that was the first moment in the past 24 hours where I thought, where I wasn't thinking about the shooting every three seconds. And I was vulnerable and I wasn't thinking about it anymore. And then I'm doing that and all of a sudden like something clicks and I just get extremely emotional. I start, I'm not crying, I'm sobbing. And I like 10 minutes later, I'm curled up on the fetal position on the kitchen floor and I'm just sobbing still. And I don't know why. There's no active thoughts going in my brain. I'm not thinking about anything. It's just raw emotion. And the way I think about it now, I would explain it now is like, man, that was the first time where um, that nuclear reactor inside my brain, mm. those valves were like redlining it because I turned off the fear and I turned off the pain. And it's like, we are about to explode. Like we can't do this anymore. And then it just all came out, dumped out. Dumping is like, it exploded out. And I finally composed myself. I washed my face, I go upstairs and as you can see like there's some red in my eyes, what's wrong? And I'm like, this is what just happened. So she holds me. Um, she prays for me. We pray together. And then I'm good. Um, and then I'm fine for like three weeks after the shooting. I am absolutely okay. Uh, then I eventually start going back to work. About three weeks later, I went back to work. And then um, all of a sudden, once I start working again for the next three weeks, I'm starting to have bad dreams. And they're just like bad cop dreams. Like we see really graphic stuff and it's not like the movies. And I'm just having memories of like that kind of stuff. And then after that, three weeks after that, um, that stops and then for another three weeks, now I'm having really bad graphic dreams about the shooting. 
Whereas before, like a cop dream, like a cliche cop dream is like, I'm about to shoot and the trigger's limp or the bullet just like comes out of the barrel. Like <laughs> that's very common in stories I hear. Like this isn't supposed to happen. Uh, my dreams after that are the complete opposite. Um, I feel the holster, I feel the retention, I feel the draw, I feel the grip, I feel the skateboard tape, I feel the trigger, I feel the recoil, my bullet goes exactly where I want it to go, and it's very graphic endings. Um, and I'm just reliving the shooting over and over again. Um, during those, you know, three, six, nine weeks now, during these nine weeks, like, I'm slowly, and I don't realize it, I'm slowly getting irritable, my patience um, from the guy who used to be a full-time evangelist, my patience is just dwindling for everything in life. Um, I'm irritable, my, um, what normally I would, would brush off, like this isn't a big deal, is really bothering me now, little stuff. Um, and, I'm, and, and it's starting to show and I'm starting to get in more arguments with my wife. Uh, I'm starting to get like, I'm starting to yell a lot more. And then it wasn't until like at the end of that, the, the nine weeks where we're in my, my, we're in my room and I don't know what we were arguing about. Looking back, they were all stupid stuff, like really stupid stuff that I was getting upset about. And somehow I like, I realized that I am inches away from my wife's face and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And I, I was screaming, I was screaming like, I can't, I can't handle all this shit in your drama anymore. Like I can't do it. And I wasn't saying like divorce or anything like that. I was just saying like, my, I cannot handle this right now. I can't, I can't deal with both things. Um, and then at the end of that night, that, that's when Ivy says, I, I think you should probably talk to somebody. And I'm like, yeah, I can't argue that. Like, you're absolutely right. Um, and that's when I started um, meeting with you, uh, meeting with a couple other uh, therapists and counselors. And then I started doing therapy, one-on-one uh, -on -one therapy for probably like a year, year and a half. Um, I was doing EMDR and that really helped out. Um, and then after that year and a half, I was, like, I was doing much better. There's still like issues here and there and I was working on it. We were working on it. And then we started doing couples counseling and that really helped out. Um, not just as a couple, but it also helped out with the stuff inside of me to help me see what was going on and get a different perspective on it. Um, Ivy and I are, are very comfortable sharing like the crap we went through. <laughs> Cause the, like, if, if you, or married to law enforcement. If you have a relationship with some law enforcement, you know that job doesn't just affect them. Like it affects the whole family. Um, and we're very comfortable sharing with like, hey, like critical incidents can seriously affect you. It could seriously affect your family. Here's what we did. We went the, the counseling route and it had a magnificent impact on our family. Um, and I talk a lot with audiences, different audiences, and I still, um, sometimes it still affects me pretty bad. Um, I think I did like a online Zoom conference for one of the ones you were putting on. And even doing it in like a online environment, 
I finished, this was like a couple months ago. I finished and I'm at my office and I'm walking up. I'm like, man, I feel a little weird. Like, I don't know, like my blood sugar or something, but I'm gonna go upstairs. I'm gonna get uh, I'm gonna get some candy, some M&Ms or something. And as I'm walking up the stairs and I'm going down and I get my M&Ms and I'm like, I feel like I'm losing my hearing right now. Like that same kind of, ah. mm. and I'm like, I'm feeling lightheaded and I feel like my vision is really getting affected right now. And I'm like, there's nobody up here. There's like one other person in an office way down there. Like, I think I'm about to pass out. Um, so I'm like, well, I got to find my sergeant. I know she's in her office. I know she's there. I just need to get there. So I get to I get to the office and she was on her computer. She said, hey, what's up? And I said, uh, I just need you to watch me for a couple minutes because I'm feeling like I'm about to pass out. I feel really weird. Can you just please watch me? She's like, yeah. And she's kind of confused. Like, yeah, this is weird. Um, and then I like, I throw some water on my face and then I sit down on her couch and I just start breathing heavy. And I just, again, I just break down. I just start sobbing. And again, it's the same thing where it's like, I don't have any active thoughts. There's nothing specific on my brain right now. It's just like raw emotion. And I don't know why, but I have a feeling it has to do with, I just told this story to a bunch of people I don't know. And it's probably has something to do with that. And this is years later. This is this was two months ago. This okay. was years and years later, um, and this is that's happened here and again. Sometimes I'll, I'll share this and I'm I'm fine, but other times I share it and I'm like, man, it is a rough afternoon, where I'm like remembering things and details, and it's it's just raw emotion, and I don't remember. I like I don't have. I'm not thinking about anything. There's not any one specific thing about it. It's just the experience. Um, it impacts me. It's like, this sucks. This isn't fun, man. So it, it, when you talk about kind of that, that emotional scar yeah. and it's there, um, you know, it's healed in so many different ways. What, what lingers with you in terms of kind of lessons learned? Where do you go from here as those emotions flood back periodically, yeah. which it sounds like they do regularly? Man, I feel like going through it like there's nothing that i could do to not absorb those memories there's, that's gonna happen like i i had to watch the dude bleed out the idea of like that messed with me for a long time with seeing the blood pump out like pumping out of this dude and watching this guy die like that messed with me for a long time like i i can't um if i were to do it again like i i still have to that i still have to experience mm -hmm. that um, man, something that helped me a lot was talking with some of my friends, guys who are now very close friends who went through similar circumstances. Um, and, and, uh, my, my friend Russ is who comes to mind and we've had plenty of times where we just go get coffee and we just talk about like, did this ever happen to you? And I'm like, yeah, that's happened to me. Mm -hmm. You're like, yeah, I, I, you're not crazy, man. Like sometimes I, I just cry randomly. Um, sometimes I have a man in memory of the blood. It just happens. Sometimes I hear a crash and I freak out. But finding somebody that um, you can talk to about it, who's experienced it. And when we've talked about it, we're not trying to get anything from each other out of it. We're just, we're just sharing an experience. Um, and whether that experience is like, it could be anything in life, but there's something about finding somebody that you have a common experience with. Mm -hmm. We went to the same college, we went to Disneyland together, whatever. 
and you're able to share those um, experiences as traumatic and violent as ours were, um, finding somebody and, and really just talking with them and sharing with them what you're going through, even if it's not good. Um, that was a lesson learned where I'm like, I wish I would have known that sooner. I wish I would have found him sooner. And been able to have that sounding yeah. board. Yeah, it helps. I'll ask one or two more questions of you just to give the audience a little perspective. Um, anything during this whole ordeal or the aftermath that was really negative for you? Hmm. The only thing was my own doing, um, and that was how I treated my wife afterwards. Mm -hmm. What I what I grew into, because it wasn't just a switch. It, it like there were little things here and there that I didn't get a hold of, that I didn't get in check, and it it, it grew, um, and that's my own thing. Like I should have been more humble, and I should have been more transparent, and I should have been more vocal. That um, these little things, these little changes that I'm seeing, are going to add up. They're, they're compounding and I didn't realize that at the time and I should have been more vocal to get the help that I needed um, before that they just started spiking before I was in her face like that I could I could have been more intentional and I don't think I would have gotten there um, and just being you know cops are super like I got this I got this. <laughs> And Rub like, dirt on it, move on. Yeah, man. Like, you're not the first one to go through this. We got a job to do. Let's do it. And uh, I didn't realize, like, that I got this. That hold was slowly, slowly. Um, I was losing that hold daily. And I didn't realize. Um, so that was my, my, if I could go back in time and grab a hold of myself and be like, hey, dummy, like, get some help. Like, these are the, these are the flags that you were told about. Like mm. you are experiencing them um, and get some help. That's what I should have done. Um, as far as like the incident and going through it, and that sucked. Um, that lady, um, she was okay at the end of the day. She went home. I went home. Um, and I don't think I would do anything different. It's It sucked. And if I still had to go through that again, then knowing all the potential of, of the consequences, all the trauma, I'd still do it. I mean, I'm still on the job. Years later? Years later. Last question for you. Just just any last words, any advice? You know, you've got folks out there listening who have, may have experienced something similar, may experience something in the future. Mm -hmm. Anything that you kind of look back now and you go, I like, you know, this, this helped me. This is something I would suggest you pay attention to. I think what, what, something that I've thought about is it's, um, it is a, such a unique feeling, experience, emotion, um, to know what it feels like to have somebody try to murder you. It, it is uh, almost, I, you almost can't describe it, um, what that feels like. And just, if you know what that feels like, um, I do too. A lot of people know what that feels like, man, and you're not alone. 
Uh, and following that, like, let's talk about it. Find somebody to talk about it with. It, it, I promise you it helps, man. I promise you it helps. It's helped me out. It's helped my family out. My marriage, our first year of marriage was a roller coaster ride mm. because of this. And because of all that, our, we have such a strong relationship. I'm so proud of my wife. Um, and our, our family, our relationship is so much stronger now than it was back then when it was first starting. But if you know what I'm, if you know that feeling I'm talking about where it's like, man, it, it, it if I were to put a, uh, uh, if I were to try and describe it, like just pure demonic is how I would describe it of somebody wanting and trying to murder you. That is a unique feeling. Um, and if you've experienced that, so have I, a lot of people have, and it's okay to, it's okay to be vulnerable there because being vulnerable is what helps the most. I found it sucks, but we're here for it. Appreciate that. Thank you. Um, really, I want to thank you a, t a ton, um, Sam, for coming on and, you know, from all of us here at kind of weighted, weight of the badge, uh, we appreciate you taking the time, uh, you sharing your insights, you being vulnerable, you, you giving us an opportunity to, uh, learn from your experience. We can only hope that your courage, resilience, heart can help to inspire and protect others. Um, thank you. Thank all of our listeners um, and all the brave men and women out there um, who are first responders. Be safe. And until next time, I'm Dr. Troy Rogers with Weight of the Badge. Thank you.